Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Cynical Sports Podcast, episode one. I appreciate y'all taking the time out of your day to check us out here. Uh, hopefully it's going to be a good one. A few quick things before we get into the, to the show. Uh, just a little bit about you know what I'm trying to do here is, is basically just give you guys a different perspective than the average sports podcast. My goal is to be incredibly unbiased and unfiltered with the takes that I have. Uh, I think there's a lot of podcasters out there doing some great things, but I also think a lot of them do a really bad job of, you know, checking their bias at the door and really just looking at it from a blank point of view. I think kind of my background and the way I've been involved in pro and collegiate sport throughout my career to this point gives me a unique ability to to look at things without the fan lens. So that's what I'm going to try to do for you. Podcast is going to be basically three sports, uh, basketball, football, and some baseball. I know baseball is a little more regional, so we're going to try to, you know, stay a little bit lighter on the baseball, but I'm a baseball guy, so there'll be some of that for sure. This isn't your hockey podcast. I'm sorry if you're looking for hockey. I would be doing you a disservice to to try, so we're not going to do that. But those three sports, uh, it'll kind of depend on the time of the year right now with the NBA playoffs going on. going to be a lot of, a lot of basketball. Little baseball as news comes up, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. So, again, like I said, thank you for checking us out today. We're going to be going over the Game 7s happening on Sunday, May 15th in the NBA, and previewing the NBA Conference Finals. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Celtics-Bucks Game 7. We are recording this here about... Five or ten minutes after the final buzzer, I have probably more notes than I should on this game. We're going to try to keep it relatively short and sweet. we got another game coming up. I'm going to come back after the Maverick Suns to recap that, and we'll go from there. So, obviously, you know, wide margin of victory late. I don't think it played like that. That game, you know, 109-81 Celtics. Celtics advanced to the conference finals. I think it was a lot closer than a fan who didn't watch the game and just checked the box score would think. Uh, early Celtics seemed really timid. Uh, five for 22 start. It seemed like, you know, the way officiating was going, it was definitely going to be in favor for the Bucks. Giannis early was, was pretty much able to be as physical as he wanted to. We'll touch on that a little. Obviously, I think throughout the series, he definitely got some interesting calls, a lot of offensive fouls. You know, the broadcast, I think every single game, pointed out something about, oh, 20-plus offensive fouls in the in the playoffs for a guy like that. I understand it's a star-driven league. Maybe it's high. The reality is, is without Chris Middleton, he didn't really have a choice but put the, put an elbow into somebody. It's an offensive foul. You can't, if you're going to let him do that, you, he's just unguardable. So I was happy. It seemed like they, they cleaned it up a little. I think it made the gameplay a lot smoother. It was just ugly for a lot of it. Van Gundy had a couple of different times where he made made jokes about this being a, a 60s or 70s playoff game, which I don't think is what anybody really wants uh, with with high level basketball in in 2022. But Celtics Celtics slow start, I think, throughout the playoffs and including today, especially early, the the Bucks did a really good job of forcing the Celtics into shots that they wanted them to take. The Bucks' defensive game plan was very clearly like we're going to allow intermediate drive, not all the way to the hoop, we're going to wall off, but we're going to force that that drive and kick to specific shooters. And that's why you saw the Celtics take 
an absurd amount of three-pointers in essentially every game in the series. The difference, to me, in my opinion, was simply just makes and misses, right? The games they lost, they didn't shoot overly well. Today, they won behind an absurd shooting performance from Grant Williams. I think nine out of ten times, the Bucks say, okay, we'll take Grant Williams taking 22 shots. Unfortunately, he was had 27 on 7-18 three-point shooting today for him. So didn't work out the way the Bucks wanted, but I still think overall their defensive game plan in that aspect was was what they wanted it to be. It just, you know, hindsight's 2020 wasn't successful, but they appeared to be doing what they wanted to do and forcing the Celtics into what they wanted to force them into on the defensive end. So, you know, it's a, it's a tale of the others, really, uh, kind of on both ends. Tatum had a fine game, 7-14, 23 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. Not anything crazy, but but he did what he needed to, and then really it, it was the others that that pulled through. You know, Grant Williams with 27, Marcus Smart with 11. I thought he played really good defense. He had that just absurd three point foul at the end of the half. I watched that and I I said, oh, they're in the bonus two shots. No way that's three point foul the way they officiated that. But the Celtics get a a lucky bounce and didn't end up mattering there. But that was that was a shocker. I thought he played well. Pritchard. Got hot there for a little bit with 14. So overall, just, you know, a lot a lot of role players making plays. And the difference in three-point disparity was just too much for the Bucks. The 18 three-pointers made differential. You can obviously point to the Bucks' best perimeter player, Chris Middleton, missing the series. That definitely hurts him. Obviously doesn't hurt them for 18 three-pointers. But, you know, if he gets six or seven to go down... You're in a different spot late. Uh, you're not so far apart that it doesn't come down to a close game. Then then you're battling late. And, and with Middleton, maybe that's a – I think that's definitely a different series, right? Like he's who they go to late in games, and they just had to manufacture in ways they don't normally need to late in, in fourth quarters, especially in the playoffs with the way they've run pick and roll. It also appeared to me that the, the Bucks just don't – I don't know if it's a, a Giannis doesn't want to do it, or it's just not part of their offense, but they do not put him in nearly enough pick and roll as the screener, especially where the Celtics for a lot of the game had multiple guys they didn't want in a switch. You saw a lot of drop coverage when they did it, but they just wouldn't go back to it. There was you know multiple possessions where they go Drew Holiday and Giannis pick and roll, and it would work really well, and then you wouldn't see it for 10 minutes. I think in, in a playoff series like that where you're struggling, that's that's got to be something you force the issue on. But overall... Good series. I I said going into it, I'll get into it in the in the uh, conference finals prediction a little too. But I said going into this series that these were two of the best three teams in my opinion in the NBA. I think the winner of this series is going to represent, which I'll I'll get into. But so good series, what you would expect seven game series. Celtics end up just without Middleton, showing that you know they had obviously the better roster. Giannis still being the best player in the series made it interesting, but there was there was just too much to overcome. Last thing on this game, Grant Williams, the best game of his career. You know, you're watching this guy, and it, to me, the first thing that that pops out is PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's made about 57 million dollars in his NBA career. I see Grant Williams as a young version of PJ Tucker. He does need to get a little better at guarding point guards, guarding guards. Peter Tucker's got him in that right now a little bit, but I think he's much quicker. He's not a liability with the ball on the floor. I'm not saying he's a, a stud, but he can he can do some things off the pump fake with a floater, 
things like that, it's not nothing. Combined with his ability to shoot the way if he if it continues the way he shot this year, plus defense, I think there's no way, barring health, that Grant Williams isn't a hundred million plus career earnings NBA player. This is a guy I would be shocked if he didn't get fifteen million or so when he's restricted here in another year. Assuming from the Celtics, right? Al Horford coming off the books and them needing somebody to, to fill that that void defensively specifically. They're, it would shock me for them to, to let him go. But future's bright for this Celtics team, but like we've seen in the past, for example, with OKC back with their young big three, nothing's guaranteed. So uh, this is a, a prime opportunity for them to take advantage. Maverick Suns game seven. I mean, could not have been more of a letdown. Don't get me wrong. There was some signs watching the last few games. Anyone who who watches this Suns team knows that while they have talent, they're going to go as far as as Chris Paul goes. Does he need to be the primary scorer? Absolutely not. Does he need to really lead in any stat category besides the assist? Probably not. But if he's not aggressive, if he's not making shots when they're giving them to him, if he's not able to lead with with his swagger and attitude and it wasn't going to work out for him and that's what we saw tonight we saw a just putrid performance from that backcourt from Devin Booker and Chris Paul putrid as in not a single made shot well into the third quarter couple of free throws that's about it and, it, you know, you look at final score, 123 to 90, a 33-point game, and, and really that doesn't even do it justice because it was in the mid-40s when the Suns just decided we won this game. Mavericks as a team shot 57% from the field to the Suns, 38. 48% from three to the Suns, 35. Out-rebounded them, made all 12 of their free throws. But overall, outside of points, in, in the shooting percentages, you know, rebounds were close. Assists are close. Turnovers, points off turnovers, essentially the same. It just comes down to one of these teams showed up and hit shots and one team didn't. Luka Doncic, let's give this man some props. 12 for 19 from the four. 6 for 11 from three with 35 points. A plus 37 just was unreal. Brunson, great game. 24 points. Over 50% from the field. Off the bench, Dinwiddie, who it feels like has kind of got hate on for the last couple years, ever since he had that little run with Brooklyn when Kyrie was hurt, when KD was recovering there in the bubble. And then in Washington, it just seemed like it spoiled, and and he kind of almost got a rep of a player who couldn't help you win. Well, he came off the bench for 11 for 15 for 30 points, for plus 29, and we had Shaquille O'Neal on the broadcast at halftime talking about Spencer Dinwiddie's like Derek Fisher. Now, unless you really watch Derek Fisher and you and you were old enough to follow those Lakers teams, you might not think that's that big of a deal. Spencer Dinwiddie being compared to Derek Fisher by Shaq himself is a huge deal. Like that. If they get Derek Fisher type out of Spencer Dinwiddie, which, you know, I think it's a little bit hyperbole, but that's a legit third or fourth piece 
for a team that has been struggling to find true pieces that fit Luka. I would have said earlier on in the series that I didn't think Luka was allowing his teammates to succeed. His teammates got a lot of flack the last couple series for not not carrying their load. And me personally watching, I looked at it and thought, I don't think this guy is one of the best players in the world is is being a great teammate, is putting his role players in positions to succeed. He gave them space to do that today. He allowed a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie to put up 30 in a game where Chris Paul and Devin Booker combined for 21 points with an average plus minus of minus 40. I mean, I wish I had some great inside analysis, but they just got bludgeoned. I mean, I I started recording this recap within seconds, and I was thinking about what I was going to say for probably a quarter because it just wasn't close. I think the last thing we gotta we gotta really look at going forward is is Chris Paul. It's hard to hate on Chris Paul. It really is. I would not back anyone hating on Chris Paul. I think it's remarkable the second act, the way he's changed his diet, changed the way he's played a little bit, changed just the way he takes care of his body in general to allow him to to keep going where a lot of people thought he was done four years ago. But the reality is he's in his high 30s. He's worth a lot of money. And this is the second year in a row he sputtered out. Don't forget he sputtered out in that NBA Finals. So with all that money left due, is it time to be a little concerned two years in? Is it time for Monty Williams, James Johnson, and that crew to take a hard look at how are we managing him through the regular season? Does he need to just, you know, never play a back-to-back? Do they need to say, okay, even if you're perfectly healthy, you're playing 50 games and you're going to be really rested. Do you think maybe looking back on it, yeah, best record in the West, do you think maybe they would have rather been the three or four seed and had Chris Paul play minimal games? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's hard to tell that. It's hard to predict the future. I get it. But with a guy his age, I don't think you're setting him up to succeed by allowing him to play the amount of games he plays and then putting that much on him. The other thing I think we got to take a hard look at for this Suns team as their season ends is does Devin Booker need to take on more of a playmaking role? Does Chris Paul need to be a a 24-minute-a-game guy in the regular season and you got to ask Devin Booker to do more with the ball? I think Devin Booker's a sensational talent. He's a great, tough shot maker. He's obviously getting those ridiculous Kobe comparisons because they train together. He's not Kobe. Nobody's ever confused him as a top five or projected to be top five player. That's not who he is. But he's a shot maker. And I think he can play make, but he's got to get better at it. He's not Chris, obviously. Nobody is, but he's not main playmaker on the floor material right now. And I think he might need to be that for them to continue with this core going forward. A lot of questions in Phoenix this offseason. It's over for them. They got to look in the mirror. They got some guys that are going to want some money. 
I don't think they handled their re-signings great. I won't touch on that too much because I'm sure we'll do a bunch of NBA offseason stuff when that time comes. But it's something they got to look at. Their owners are notoriously cheap, so we'll see. But all in all, just an incredible, like I said, beat down by the Mavericks. Did the Suns play great? Absolutely not. They played terrible, but they get another 20, 25 points, and, and we're still looking at a Suns win here because they just played that well tonight. It's going to be an exciting series coming up. Eastern Conference Finals. Celtics Heat starting up this week. I love, as a basketball fan, love this matchup. Neither team with a ton of size, but both teams are just incredibly long, one to five, are very tough defensively. Ime Adoka looking to to do even a semblance of what the Heat have done for the last 20 plus years with their toughness and physicality. It could be a really competitive, good series. I think personally, it's almost a better matchup for both teams just in the way they're lined up. Both are not incredibly big and physical at the five. Bam and, and Rob or Al or whoever, depending on health. Neither of them are obviously like big post presences. They're both just very switchable, good defenders, especially with Rob. I think, you know, the Rob and Bam comparison has been made more than once. That's not, you know, a new take. But, you know, lots of long wings, physical wings. The Heat just, you know, continue to find ways to amaze me in the way they're able to foster talent. I mean, Max Struess. Max Struess is a 10-day contract player this year. I remember, you know, seeing stuff about him him getting picked up by the Celtics in the middle of the season. Didn't work out. Not sure he even played in the game. Now he's providing valuable minutes, putting up solid numbers in multiple different playoff games against a solid Philadelphia team. It's going to be interesting what they do with Duncan Robinson. If they didn't think he matched up against Philly, I definitely don't think he matches up against the Celtics. The Celtics have even fewer people I think they could hide him on. Now, there's not a Matisse Thibel out there or somebody like that where they can just say, go go stand next to him on the Celtics team. Everybody's going to put the ball on the floor in some capacity. So we'll see. That's a, a sharp shooter if he's right. To have a chance, they're going to need to get a full third option level player out of some combination of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Jimmy Butler is the ultimate competitor. I think you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to give you 20, 25, realistically, a game. Bam Adebayo is going to be a stopper. They're going to switch the same way the Celtics do. But at the end of the day, if both teams are firing in a playoff series, the way playoff games run the way they slow down. I think the Celtics just have more options. I think defensively, the problems they had with the Bucks, they're just not going to have with this Heat team. They don't have a Giannis, obviously. They don't have a guy that the Celtics just don't match up with. It's a pretty simple, you keep Rob if he's healthy on Bam, or maybe you leave him on PJ Tucker so he can float and put Horford on Bam. But then, you know, you've got Tatum slash Brown for Butler. You're not worried about Brown getting put in situations like he was against Giannis where he just can't succeed. And, you know, Marcus Smart's just going to guard whoever's hot, right? That's what he does. They match up really well. Like I said, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think you're going to see some low-scoring games in this series where it's just who can squeeze a little bit more out of the opposing defense. But in the end, I'm, I think it's Celtics in six. I think the Celtics go in and, and they take care of business on their home court in, in game six. Good series, but but not quite a seven-gamer.
Western Conference Finals. Mavericks Warriors. I think from an interest standpoint, from a marketing standpoint for the league, this is probably about as good as it gets for them. Luka Doncic coming into his own, a transcendent talent and a lightning bolt for the younger generation of NBA basketball fans. His first time deep into the playoffs is is bound to be big. Then you got the Warriors in the just global brand that they've become and the interest that comes along with a team that's been hurt for a couple of years now. They're back. They've got some some guys in in the in the Splash Brothers of, of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson who are about as lovable of superstars as it gets. I would bet it's it does about as good as any Western Conference Finals in the last 10 years. I think the interest will be that high for this game. From the Warriors' standpoint, I think this is probably who they wanted. I don't think the Warriors are a perfect team this year by any stretch. Clay is is still trying to figure out a little bit. Granted, he has been better than he's gotten credit for so far in the playoffs. We're talking over 20 points a game, back to shooting above 40% from three. I mean, with Steph out there, with Jordan Poole becoming the young star that he is becoming, the just bona fide sniper that he's developed into, if you're getting average defense from Clay, still, ideally above, but, I mean, be realistic, probably average defense, and you're getting a guy who's going to knock down open shots, I think that's all you need out of him. We're going to need to see Draymond not hide the way he hid in this last series. He almost looked a little Ben Simmons-esque. That's not what you want. You, We need him to be competitive. Uh, that's what that's what they're going to be looking for. And be willing to take the shots if they're just going to leave him naked. Or at least push the ball and look for that little that little floater game that he has. Or to, to penetrate and kick. He can't be afraid to, to make things happen for him. But with this Mavericks team, as compared to... To the Suns, who they could have matched up with, I think I think it puts them in a lot better situation. I think if they want to, they could start all three guards. They could start Poole just because of the way this roster in Dallas works out. It's not going to hurt them to go three of those guys with, with Draymond in a big, or maybe even against some of the lineups the Mavericks are going to roll out there. They might even be okay to roll with the super small lineup of those three guards with Wiggins, if Wiggins is playing the way he can, and and Draymond or Kevon Looney out there with him. Just looking at the guys who play the most minutes for the Mavericks. We got Reggie Bullock, mid-sized wing. Dorian Finney-Smith, who's had a great year for them. Long, but a wing. Not, not a huge guy. Luka is a big boy. Frankly, not concerned defensively. It doesn't really matter his size. He doesn't really try that hard and when he does it's just being a body there Brunson's small Dinwiddie again guard Kleba is a nice long four playing the five like six ten he can defend don't get me wrong but he's not huge he's not going to punish you and Dwight Powell is is having a good year and he's big but he's not they're not giving him 10 post touches because the Warriors go small that's not going to happen that's essentially the guys they're going to play. So if they have no, they don't have an eight in, right? If they don't have a guy where they're going to say, okay, you're going to go small, guess what? We're giving this kid 14 
post touches, deal with it. Then let's take offense. Let's roll pool out there. Let's get some auto Porter minutes out there at the four, some Wiggins minutes out there at the four with either Draymond or Looney, depending on things. I think you probably try to match up Draymond and Kleba and Looney when Powell comes in. That's about 15 minutes a game that Powell's Powell's playing in the playoffs. Looney's around 16, so they'll match up well. And I think you can figure that out fine. I really don't think you need to go size. And that's why I think the Warriors are going to win the series. I, I expect a good series. Luka is incredible. There's no part of Luka that I would say seems scared at all. I, I don't worry about nerves with him. I think the one thing you got to look out for with Luka a little bit is his ability to make his teammates better overall. I think you saw kind of the beginning of this Phoenix-Dallas series, him be out, Brunson play well, a couple guys play well, him come back. And yet, is he a great passer? Absolutely. He's got great vision. He can hit open guys, but he's such a ball stopper and he's such a everything runs through me that it's hard for those guys to stand with him. So if he's not intentional early on in the season, in the series to keep those guys involved, to do those things he needs to do to, to make sure that they're in rhythm late so that when he throws those driving kick passes, they haven't been standing around waiting for four possessions. They've gotten touches. They're still warm. Now we're now we're knocking those down. So that's that's where they go. That's if they want to make it a series and, and give it a shot, it's gonna be on Luca's back. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised just because it's Luca if they were the favorites. But in my opinion, I'm gonna take Golden State. I'm gonna take the drive that they seem to have to wanna show the world that they're they're here for a second run. And I'm taking them to to win it in seven. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited for both of these series. I'm excited to, to watch what basketball we have left. I'm hoping to get another episode out to you guys after the first couple of games. We'll do a breakdown of, of what things are looking. If the, the Warriors are down 0-2, I might make fun of myself a little. We'll see what's what's working. But yeah, after the first, first couple of games, be on the lookout for another pod and, and we'll go from there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cynical Sports Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to, rated, and reviewed the show, I would love for you to do so. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel at Cynical Sports Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cynic Sports Pod. I want your comments and DMs. Tell me what you agree with, tell me what you don't. Lastly, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, there's a link to do so in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back in your ears shortly.